Avi on money. 12 to 1 p.m. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. Let's try that again. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. It's seven minutes past 12 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I usually don't say 12 o'clock because the show is rebroadcast after over and over so people get confused when you say 12 o'clock. So it's seven minutes past the hour. And today is the continuation of the theme we've been talking about the whole month, which is basically youth and youth empowerment. And today is the chance for us to really look at how technology is the driver, especially in developing countries and more specifically on our front doorstep in Africa going north where there is a tremendous shortage of skills. There's a tremendous shortage of employment opportunities for young people. And it's amazing to see these public-private partnerships coming in. And today, most, more specifically, we're talking about Nokia coming in from Finland, celebrating the 100th year anniversary of their independence. I must say, the thing I had to look up is the independence from, from Russia in those days, 1917. Um, and they are now as most big corporates do are then spending time, money and effort in developing those that have less, those that need assistance to get a foot up. And there's no one better than Jan Liebenberg, who's the the head of end-to-end solutions in South Africa. Jan, welcome to FM. Good afternoon. Thank you. Great. Jan, you've got to relax. Okay, take it easy. There's only 62,000 people listening to you. So uh, just take it easy, relax. Um, Jan, let's start at the very, very beginning. Um, we spoke off air, and I always say that the chats off air are often the best sort of conversation because um, they're, they're really the, the meat on the bone, so to speak. But let's start at the very beginning. Who are you? How do you fit in? And what does Head to Head do? And what's their relationship with Nokia? Okay, so head to head, end to end head um, of solutions for Southern Africa is a CTO function. So I I do technical um, engagements with. Okay. Um, I'm an economist. What does CTO stand for? So chief technical officer. Right. Okay. So 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 technical discussions um, typically with um, the the C level, as we say, the the chief level in the customer, and uh, to talk to them about technology and technology trends and. And also technology strategy, and how can we actually bring that eventually then into their business, and to 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 grow the the business inside a country, and also to bring some value to the country. Am I correct in saying that the discussion of whether technology should be in companies, whether technology should be in in in, in governments, that discussion's over. It's it's a given these days. We're no longer at that point where should we, shouldn't we? It's a matter of how. That's correct, yes. So that, that technology is there. We need to just see how we bring it in and how we actually make it work for the people. Okay. You know, Jan, something that I've tried very hard to do on the show, um, and I'll give you a practical example. I had a lady last week who really spoke about um, empowering people and giving those previously disadvantaged and those without the uh, the advantage that certain of us do have, the foot up, is to try maybe put myself in myself in the position of those who you are trying to help it's very easy to be condescending sometimes but rude and sometimes arrogant when you look down and you speak about rather than trying to understand where is this market who are these people where do they stand and then how is a company like end-to-end solutions together with Nokia coming in to help him? So let's start there. We know there's a shortage of technology in Africa. What is the shortage? How, how is it tangible? 
So I think the the biggest challenge in Africa for us at the moment is connectivity in rural areas. So getting people that stay away from the city centers actually connectivity to the internet. Uh, some of them don't even have connectivity with from a phone perspective. They can't even make a phone call. So we do a lot of innovation and technology also to make it cost effective to actually deploy networks that can work in these um, lower lower areas. Because typically for a, an operator like the ones we have in South Africa, it's not feasible or viable for them to, to spend a lot of money, put up equipment, and they cannot get a return on this equipment. So it's about return of, invest, uh, of this investment that they do. And therefore, we have lots of um, technology that we try to bring that cost point down, but also technology that allows them to share this. So you can put technology down and you can share this um, as a resource between multiple parties. Uh, a good case in point for us is uh, we recently signed a deal in Mexico, and in Mexico we're actually exactly doing this. So we're building a, a network which will be shared, and the different entities that wants to have parts of this network can actually share this network. So that's that's the typical discussions that we have is how can we actually bring connectivity to the outlying areas and the people that are, as you say, either disadvantaged by not having this connectivity or from an affordability perspective as well. And that leads us also to the economic growth because as soon as we bring some technology and connectivity to an area, we just see that suddenly this area becomes active. They can either sell their produce now via internet applications or they suddenly have exposure to many more things. And that's actually what we try to do in Africa, Southern Africa, for my domain specifically. Let's let's talk. Um, let's just go back a few steps. We bring technology in, and then all of a sudden, there's this magical transformation of economic growth. How, you know? And th- this is what I'm trying to get mm-hmm. uh, 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 to understand: is that let's take an area where there is huge youth unemployment. There's absolutely no prospect. There's no factory nearby. The agriculture is very subsistence or rural. Um, th- there's no technology. The schooling is antiquated. And there's no connectivity. Now, all of a sudden, we bring connectivity in. And let's just assume that the connectivity is free because somehow between the partnership between big business yes. and some big business, um, some um, user in the area, it's there. How does that then – what's a transmission mechanism for that to create economic growth? Yeah. So there is multiple things that one needs to to look at. I think important is the, um, as you say, education as well. But typically, if we bring the technology in, we connect the school. We connect the clinic, if there's a clinic in the area. We can connect the library. Providing this um, free connectivity, um, then one can start to set up um, classrooms. So education can be done remotely. So as we talk about e-education, talk about e-health, these are the typical applications then, and even e-government services. So suddenly government services that um, was not available in this area can now be made available because it's available electronically. So these are the the things that we do then bring. And I think it's a good link now to... Talk a little bit also about maybe the Code Bus initiative that we that we did, because because that that's related to education. How do we educate the youth actually to show them the prospects actually that um, that and what they can actually do with technology? Okay, just to bring it down practically, I mean, there's a there's a there's a certain chap called Rabbi Shishlo who does a show on on this radio station. Uh, I, I mean, a wonderful chap and a very forward thinking, progressive individual. I called him the other day and he WhatsApped me back to say, "I'm busy giving a class at this and this college. I will call you later." And I thought, first of all, if you're giving a class, what are you doing on your phone? Second of all, I know that college and it's definitely not in South Africa. 
And then when we started chatting, he said, no, no, it was, it, it was a recess, it was a break, so he called. He says, no, but he does this every week. He gives a three-hour session at a particular college overseas and says, when the Skype lesson starts, the first lesson or two, it's, it's a little bit weird, mm-hmm. you know, because you're sitting in your study, they're sitting in a classroom. And he says, but then everybody gets into the flow of it and it works beautifully. He says, but when I meet with the students and I have a get-together with them, all of a sudden, sudden that solidifies that relationship. He says, and then I can basically sit on a bicycle and give a lesson because they know who I am. And as long as the content is there, it, it works well. And for me, that was a real, a tangible experience as to how it really works. I mean, my wife's a graduate of that college overseas, and all of a sudden he's sitting here in Strathaven giving the lesson, yes. and, and it just comes together. Um, the other thing that I've often seen is, is medicine. I know, for example, at Discovery, you can have a Skype consultation at a particular rate. It's actually built into the product that they develop. So it's really tangible now and it's there. But I, I, was, I just want to try keep it more focused on how we're going to uplift communities. So now you've got this whole bus initiative. Take us back a little bit. So you've got this bus driving around. And I'm going to be cynical here. When that bus drives away or out of Africa or to a, to a bus graveyard, what are we going to leave behind at the end? What impact are we? What is the footprint going to have been? Okay. So the um, Code Bus Initiative started as a Finnish, uh, one of the Finnish ideas, specifically for Africa. And the idea was to how can we bring coding skills to Africa? So because it's a 100-year celebration, we picked 10 African countries um, and uh, basically 100 days, so or roughly three months. And we traveled through these um or let's say a subset of people traveled through these 10 countries and we ended this off in South Africa um, last month. And when the, we're coding, you mean p- computer coding? Yeah, software coding, um, coding basic skills. And right. so the program was developed by a university in um, Finland, uh, the L2 University, together with the Finnish government. And um, Nokia is, is proud to be the sponsor of this event. And what we did is we found, in, together with the embassies in the different countries, we found a local partner. And we trained, together with the um, trainers from the Alta University, we trained actually the, um, the local people with the skills on how to offer these classes. The software is uh, called Sonic Pi. It's, a, it's free software that's available. So this is open source software. So there's, um, the, the concept is actually not proprietary or not um, um, trademarked. So anyone can actually take the software. And many people actually do use the software to either code music. So the concept was, focus was around 12-year-old um, girls specifically because we also want to um, bring up the level of girl education um, in, in, in the country. We didn't only focus on girls. We had some boys as well and maybe slightly older kids as well to, to actually reach as many people as possible. And we had trained over 2,000 um, kids. But I, the, what we leave behind is in each of the countries we actually have left um, local trainers that's been trained, that has the software that has now been trained to actually roll out and continue with this program. And even in South Africa, we will continue with this program. So we might not call it Code Bus. Um, originally, the plan was to have a bus drive, around, drive through the different countries, but um, um, eventually we didn't. We just used buses to actually bring the kids to different venues. And the focus, of course, was also on the on, on areas and where kids maybe have not been exposed to, to laptops or to PCs. So we had in some countries kids that actually never have touched a, a PC before. Ian, we've now trained these people. 
how long was the training? I assume it was a couple of days. So because this is such a dynamic program and so easy, it's it's not not a full day, but basically a day. Um, so the kids start in the morning, then they uh, learn the basics of coding, and then they code music. Um, and then at the end of the day, we have like a little party where they celebrate, listen to everyone's song that they've actually coded. So the, the initiative here is um, that you you code something and you actually generate a piece of music. That's so it's quite cool, actually. So, um, yeah, it's made a basically a half a day workshop. Then we leave the kids also with some additional collateral, of course, on where they can find more coding lessons. And and many of them is now interested in coding. Some, of course, might not continue in this way. But the idea was to actually expose 12-year-olds roughly don't have um, made up their mind exactly what they want to study yet. So that's why we sort of focused around the 12-year-old level as well. But it's not also a skill that if you don't use it and become a computer programmer or engineer is wasted. It's something that you can yes. use over and over yes. again. Um, let's take a quick break. When I come back, I, I just want to talk about the coding and the music because I think that's ingenious. And also something totally unrelated. I've introduced a company that we all, that I don't know if we all know, but a company called Schwarzkopf who is a shampoo company, and they've had some phenomenal um, success in training youth. And maybe just to put the two together, we'll take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 FM. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It's nearly 22 minutes past the hour. Thank you so much for joining us. And for those of you who have just got into your cars, just turned on your radio, just come back from lunch. Well, I hope you had a good lunch. But what we're really talking about here is we're talking to Jan Liebenberg, who's the head of a company called End to End, End, to End Solutions in South Africa. And really what we're talking about is science and math skills, computer skills for the underprivileged in Africa and more specifically the youth and even more specifically female youth, young girls where they are given a skill that they otherwise wouldn't be able to acquire and Jan, what you mentioned almost flippantly before we went to the break was that you gave the short coding course and then they coded their own music, then they made the and then everybody played it what I found ingenious about that is that you found a language that the youth of that place understand, and it's not just unique to them. It's a universal language across the world. Um, you will find youth learning the words of Spanish songs, of Italian songs. And, you know, I always was always sh- uh, surprised how Johnny Clegg's biggest clientele was in Sweden and Finland, was in the, you know, in the Scandinavian countries, and yet it was Zulu and English. Um, that was the languages that, that was spoken. Music breaks those boundaries, and you found the medium to do that. What's the long-term goal? You mentioned it briefly before, but let, let's go back there. We've had this course. We've brought the youngsters in. They've all made this music. We've now got a 12-year-old girl who's all of a sudden produced something and is sitting, standing on a stage or showing something, whereas before she was really sitting in the background. Where do you guys hope to take this? Where do you, would you like to see this young lady in the next five to ten years? Our whole uh, aim is around this, what we call STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So how can we uh, bring the youngsters actually to, to go and study in those, uh, into those areas? And, of course, we cannot get all of them to do this, but in South Africa specifically also we have a challenge. We don't have enough science, technology, engineering, and maths um, coming through to, to actually come to companies like Nokia. So we hope that 
by, by doing this, we actually want to show the kids that um, based, based on the coding skills, two ways, either that they are interested then in this STEM area to go and study um, mathematics or engineering or technology. And the other one is um, it could also mean that you could maybe make some mu money with music. So if you use this software and there's artists in the world that actually use the same software to actually they make money, they make a living out of generating music. So so I think those are the two areas. But the, the key for us is we want to at a young age show people that there's um that it could be fun to actually be an engineer or be a mathematician as well you know one thing that I, i've seen as as a parent and um i've seen and i've experienced with having people in the studio two weeks ago i had a, a chap from zimbabwe um and it works for a south african company or ngo that is really makes people aware of water scarcity and it's not just the fact that we're a water scarce country and our rainfalls erratic and all that and that we should put a bucket in the shower it's more on the macro side going to big corporations speaking to them if they can drop their usage by 10 percent what that means etc etc and his background was he studied agriculture in Zimbabwe and then he did honors in it and then he sort of decided there was more to life and he went into genetics and then all of a sudden he got involved in saying it really adds value on a daily basis um, am I correct in saying is that we use science maths and engineering in a very narrow term it's a very broad spectrum you know um, study that's that's correct yes because one thing that we, that is underlying on on the, all of this is that we're moving into an area that's called Internet of Things. So there's big buzzword called IoT, and and which is connecting a lot of things. And the idea is to hopefully make our lives easier, but also to be able to control things better. And like you mentioned, maybe water resources. If we could have um, sensors in this IoT world, cheap. Um, cheap sensors that we can place, we could maybe monitor water leakage throughout the country very easily and send the repair teams to the right areas proactively um, and, and not only pick up the, the problem, let's say, um, quite late um, after, um, after, let's say, a lot of water has leaked, for example. So, so one of the ideas is also that by exposing the kids to this STEM, as we say, as we call it, it also allows them to, to maybe move into that area of Internet of Things, which is really, as you say, a broad spectrum. It's agriculture. It's, it's this industry 4.0 that everyone talks about. Uh, it's medical areas. Name it. It's all facets of, of life. And it's almost something that we take for granted on a daily basis. Um, you know, you and I are not 21 anymore, and yet we've moved with the technology. It's maybe not as second nature to me as it is to you. I I'll sort of have to apply my mind how to download an app sometimes. But at the end of the day, on, on this on this phone in my hand is basically everything that I need. Might be a bit small sometimes, and I might prefer to use a laptop or a pa or an iPad. But but everything's here. And yet certain parts in the world, that technology is just not available. Um, I remember once I visited a, a mango farmer out in Pumalanga. And we were just discussing a few certain things and technology came up. And he almost said as a throwaway comment, the spot price on mangoes at the, on the market on the day is the difference between them pulping, in other words, making it into juice or sending it to market. And I thought like, wow, there's no facts maybe mm -hmm. there's no phone call he simply picks up his phone at four o'clock in the morning and says what's the spot price for mangoes in the international market right we go right not left and that you know that dictates a whole outcome as a food chain a logistical chain a, a supply 
all based on the technology that he gets in the palm of his hand. And yet rural countries don't have that. But maybe let's go from third world to, to first world. Um, let's maybe look about, you know, first world countries and what, what is your interaction in a company like end-to-end solutions with companies like Nokia and what is their commitment to uplifting those in the third world? So from a, um, from a, from a Nokia perspective, the, um, we also do projects in, let's say, in countries. Um, in South Africa, maybe not so many, but in some of the other African countries, we also work with um, the UN, for example, or we work with other um, bodies inside the country to actually look at specific needs. So one specific um, project we are looking at at the moment is something in Tanzania. So in Tanzania, we're looking at how we can do this rural upliftment. So it's a government initiative, but initiative, but also a somehow an, an, a European Union link to this, um, a company like Nokia, we are there as well. And we are seeing how can we actually, as, as I mentioned earlier, bring this rural connect or this connectivity to the rural areas in a cost-effective and affordable way. And then also how do we can bring the education then with that because we need to also educate the people how to use this technology that then will happen in this rural area. So that's just one example, but we do this in many countries. Um, um, also the neighboring countries um, around South Africa, we have lots of discussion with government and with the with other parties like the the World Bank, for example, on how we can actually do joint projects. And and we use European funding as well. We need it. But you mentioned it earlier, and it's not just about bringing the money. It's about actually delivering something of value, something that the people can have in their hands and they can actually utilize and they can grow and learn from it and then either use it then to uplift the economy or actually uplift their own skills and, and be a contributor to the economy for that country. You mentioned United Nations. You mentioned the World Bank. Those are two organizations that are going through tremendous change at the moment. Um, two organizations where the word, the term donor fatigue is already old, old hat. Um, Africa at the moment is getting very, very angry with the EU, with the Africa, with the World Bank, um, and with the United Nations. And therefore they've started the African Bank and they started the African Union. Um, and this is this constant backwards and forwards between the difference between donor and between assistance in order to become independent and stand on your own. Is this maybe a more long-term solution um, where we can skill people in such a way that it becomes or it grows organically? I would maybe say medium term, but yes, it's it's not something that um, because we don't necessarily just give the money and walk away. We 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 do bring the money together with the partners. So we we do these um, partnerships, but the idea is then to 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 grow it together with them. And as you say, that's a, I would say then a medium to long term initiative. But at the end goal is to have them self sustained. So really, it's about creating absolute independence in in the long term, which is again good for a company like Nokia because. The more technology thrives, the more they can supply, and you know, it becomes a business model that's sustainable. Yes. Let's maybe just change tack a little bit, and let's talk a little bit about end-to-end solutions. Um, what do you guys do, and what is your direct target market? This is obviously an initiative you're busy with with Nokia, but on a daily basis, if, if I had to look up your company, what do you guys do? So f- from an, from a Nokia perspective and uh, with this end-to-end team within Nokia, we look at really how can we solve end-to-end technology um, and solution problems. So um, not, not just, um, sp- uh, let's say, addressing a specific um, um, 
campaign, but really end-to-end. So how do we start this business up? How would we actually sustain this business? And, and how would we actually grow this business? So to give you an example, if we do an expansion of a a network in South Africa to add more telecommunication to that, we would look at all the different aspects from building the infrastructure, um, adding the capacity to use this infrastructure, to, to collecting that and running it over fiber, for example, back to where it needs to be, but then also the applications that needs to run over this. So sort of the end-to-end ecosystem, that's that's what we look at, not just I just put the fiber down and then what you want to do with the fiber, for example, I don't mind. I would actually look at what's the use case for the fiber and how do we optimize, for example, to give you an example, as a technology like fiber. So we would look end-to-end at this and um, how does it actually make value? How does it bring value to you and, and what's the return on investment at the end of the day? And, and that's really what I was driving at because um, – that's one of the biggest problems that we've had is that there's been a lot of equipment given to certain countries. There's been a lot of skills that have been deployed for a particular amount of period of time. And then when you go back later, you just find equipment lying around and you find people sitting around and you ask, but you've got the equipment, you've got the, the skills, you've got the land, what's going on? And what you really find is that People didn't stand on the ground and live there for six months before they decided what project they were going to do. And they didn't understand. And I, I can talk from firsthand experience. I remember many, many years ago, I was part of an organization called UK Jewish Aid. And during the floods in Mozambique, they donated a, a water plant and we, we built it in a place called Boani in Mozambique. And um, it was wonderful. It went up. It was done in conjunction with the Red Cross. Wonderful collaboration. And um, I was going, it was done, and the engineer called me and said, look, I'm finished, I'm done, everything's working perfectly, bar someone stealing the pump out of the water, I'm out of here, I'll meet you in three or four days' time at the inauguration when we hand it over. You know, I got there a day early, and I called him to say, look, we've got two problems. Um, number one, the pump's not working, that ended up just being a connection that had to be sorted out. But the chief engineer, I'll never forget his name, was Mr. Later. I later worked out that later actually means milk in Mozambique, mm-hmm. in Portuguese. But um, he said to me, we, we're very insulted by this project. And I was mortified. It was aid money. We had put it together. It was world class. We had used the top French company, Nalco Kemp Serves down South Africa, to make sure that it ran. I said to him, okay, just, just tell me, what have we done wrong? He said, we're supplying water to people, not to cattle. So I said, yeah, I'm well aware of that. But what's the issue? He said, people drink from taps. Cattle drink from valves. And then I realized that the end point of the project was a big, I don't know how many liter tank with a f- big valve on it. And what were we going to do? Just open the valve and let... And all it was, was one phone call. Funny, a company just around the corner here. And they had us a set of taps and we just screwed it on and then we bolted it in. And the insult went away. But we didn't consult with the Mozambicans to say, how should this thing end? It was like, we here, knights in shining armor, and we're going to deliver. The reason I relate the story is that that's the tragedy of the public-private partnership that doesn't always get married in the end. So I've come together, there's a big whole lot of fireworks, and then it dies. How's end-to-end solutions and Nokia and all that, going to make sure that when you have this conversation in a year's time, you, you, you can tell us good stories. 
It's it's about exactly as you said, the stakeholder, getting making sure that all the stakeholders are, are taken in consideration and really understanding actually what the real deliverables of this project should be. And that we deliver something that the customers actually want and they can use and actually fulfills the purpose of what they actually originally asked for. That's the that's the end. That's the whole aim of this end to end solution. That we bring all the different components. And even if it's non Nokia components, we will bring non Nokia components into this um, um arena as well and stakeholders as well. Is education, schooling education and technology in schools a vital part of that? It's very key. It plays a very key key role for us. And, and I think that's it, it links back again to why we decided to sponsor this CodeBus initiative and specifically for, for, for Africa. When does the initiative end or has it ended already? So we, we um, ended at the uh, end of last month um, in Cape Town. And we also brought the Finnish... Um, DJ out to come. She also creates music with the software, and she used the songs of the kids. and There was a, a, a nice big party in Kailicha, um to to celebrate the end of the code bus. So it it, it um, it's the end of let's say the hundred days. The, um, it's links to the hundred year celebration, but um, it's not the end for us in code bus. So we already have some plans. We, as I said, in each and every country in South Africa, we used a, a partner called MLab. And uh, they will. They have the skills now. They can also continue to run the workshops. We as Nokia and the embassy in South Africa, Finnish embassy, will also continue to run workshops. And the next one we actually plan is one for our own kids, the kids for the Nokia employees. So we want to do one in July. So we haven't done something for our own kids um, in the company, and we'll do that, and we will continue to build out this program. And we continue to focus on the, if you can say, the disadvantaged areas or the... Um, um, and then in Kailicha, for example, we also used um, um, a facility there that we have now loaded all the software onto their computer. They've, we've trained their trainers, and they will also now run more of these workshops in uh, Kailicha for the kids um, in, in, in the Western Cape. How does Nokia view this? Is this um, charity money? Is this um, spend that they need to spend on, you know, or is this a business strategy of future investment in upliftment and therefore the demand for their product will almost be guaranteed going forward? It's a, it's a, it's a mix, I guess, of, of things because we are a company. We are a business as well. Yes. But it, it's important for us, and, and to come back to this topic of STEM, that we, we need to get the kids and we need to get more engineers and mathematicians and scientists um, into the industry, specifically where we are moving towards with all the things like the buzzwords like artificial intelligence, this virtual reality things, the Internet of Things I talked about, we do perceive that um, in by 2025 the world will look different. So we do, do need to have the youngsters also more focused and trained on that. And, and we do need these skills in our own company, and other companies need them as well. So uh, it's, it's a mix of... of, of um, and uh, of, let's say different components, but the key for us is how can we actually, at a younger age, actually show kids that, as I said earlier, um, engineering and math can be fun as well. Okay. Yeah, and so that's been quite a, a long stretch. Let's take a quick break. Um, when we come back, what I wanted to ask you is just the initiative going forward, which we just discussed, but more specifically about science and maths. Um, I'll, I'll unpack up when we come back. Let's take a quick break. Avi on money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9. Hi, Avi.
Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It's 20 minutes to the hour. And in studio with me is Jan Liebenberg, who is the head um, in South Africa for a company called End-to-End Solutions. Jan, you also represent, in a way, Nokia. When you mention Nokia to the uh, very young generation, they look at you as if to say, no, no, we heard about that. That's like the gramophone or the LP doesn't sort of play part of our lives anymore. But yet most of us remember Nokia very, very, very fondly because it was the indestructible phone with a battery life that went on for a couple of days. It certainly wasn't a smartphone as we know today in those days. Um, and then it sort of it, it amalgamated with the Siemens and then it had a bit of a revival and then it sort of went away. But let's go back a little bit. Who is Nokia internationally? What do they really do? And are we going to see handsets back in South Africa? Okay, so Nokia is a company that's 152 years old this year. Um, it started in the paper mill business and did some things in rubber, and you found some tires that was made by Nokia some years back. And then, as you mentioned, Nokia moved into the space of handsets, mobile handsets, and was quite a leader um, specifically in the, for the older generation of uh, handsets. However, Nokia was also a business-to-business company selling the, the back-end networks that actually make the mobile devices work. And uh, many people, I don't think, know that. So Nokia um, is today about 100,000 people big. In South Africa, Nokia is just over 400 people um, that work in South Africa. And Nokia today um, has got many facets. As you mentioned, the handsets um, was um, sold to Microsoft some years back, the patent and licenses as well. However, Microsoft now um, is no longer continuing with that uh, business and the brand, the Nokia brand. So Nokia signed a new agreement with a company called HMD Global, a Finnish company, and they are making uh, under under brand and license agreement um, Nokia phones again. So already the phones was launched in China, and now um, in, as they call, summer in Europe, they are launching the phones globally. So we will see some phones. We already see some of the phones in South Africa market. So there's a Nokia 3, 5, and 6 phone. And then there's also a retro version of the old uh, 3310. So it's a new version of the 3310 that's also already available in South Africa. So we will see more and more devices. These these are not directly Nokia. Um, these are under brand license. So it's actually a company called HMD Global. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm buying a Nokia handset. Yes. And, you know, the, the market has changed. I mean, a couple of years ago, Apple didn't exist. Today, many, many people um, have Apple handsets. Samsung, even though they were quite explosive in the couple of months ago, they seem to have rectified that very quickly and life moves on. Are we going to see Nokia coming in as a major player? From an HMD um, perspective, I think that is the um, that's their view. As a as Nokia doesn't um, directly uh, own this and know exactly what the strategies are from HMD, but that that's HMD's um, plan. Um, one needs to also look at the innovative business models that HMD is applying. They're a new player in the market. They don't have the legacy of the other players that you mentioned. Um, and they they, ha- they can do things differently. They can also do things, let's say, from a distribution and manufacturing perspective differently. So I think one needs to watch the space. I do believe with the innovative way that they are bringing back the devices, we will they will be a... Um, a force to reckon with in a couple of years' time. And um, I believe there's still a lot of passion out there for the brand, the Nokia brand. So we will have to see how 
how that plays out as well. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those brands that sort of went away but didn't die. Uh, it didn't like sort of have an abrupt end. It sort of just wasn't there anymore. And when it comes back, um, as you were discussing before, there's, there's a great affinity to the brand. It's a very, everybody has fond memories, maybe a little bit antiquated because it was before the smartphone era, but you know, it's, it's a positive um, association with the brand. Um, yeah, and just before we, we, we wrap up the show, um, who, should be in touch with you if someone's listening and they need technology or they want technology or they want more information what type of person or type of business do you interact with and how do people get hold of you so we um, focus on three let's say areas of business we do um, a business with the the bigger uh, telecommunication operators so that typical, if I can name them, the telcoms, the CELCs, the Vodacoms, MTNs, and there's a few more in South Africa um, that we deal with. But we also deal with enterprises. So we also deal with the bigger enterprise uh, companies. And then we also do some government business as well. So anyone that's in an enterprise that needs a solution, connect- connectivity solutions specifically, and technology solutions, or then even the bigger guys. But we are mainly working with the bigger operators in South Africa. And even though you have an association with Nokia, you're not brand-specific, you're solution-specific. I'm solution-driven. I'm solution-driven, yes. Okay, fantastic. How do people get hold of you guys? Um, I can give you my contact details. Please do. Um, So they can call me on my mobile. It's um, 082-90-11-112. Or they can email me at jan. Right. Dot Liebenberg at Nokia dot com. Okay, interesting. So your email address is actually at Nokia. So is 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 end to end a subsidiary of Nokia or is it two separate companies? It's a it's a group with inside Nokia. Okay, fantastic. Great. Jan, thank you so much for coming in. Um well done for the initiative. Everything of the best going forward. And uh, I look forward to getting a phone call from you to say, uh, please come fetch your handset and uh, let's see if we can go back to Nokia. Thank you very much for everybody who put it together. Thanks to Michelle, who, as usual, um, you know, does a brilliant job of producing the show. Craig, thank you for pushing the buttons and uh, telling me when to keep quiet. We'll speak to you next week. Have a great time. Be well. Goodbye.